Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So it is wonderful. All right, who's ready for the word this morning? Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that every time we open your word, God, you have got something fresh for us. Thank you, God, that my words are not powerful, but your words are. God, I pray that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we look at your word, that you will breathe life into people's situation this morning. In your wonderful name, amen. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Exodus chapter 33 and verse... Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Right. Exodus 33, verse 11. So I was reading this story in the paper the other day, and it was titled, Tree Stumps That Should Be Dead but can be kept alive by nearby trees. Tree stumps that should be dead, but are kept alive by nearby trees. Who knows that's fascinating Saturday reading? (laughs) And the point of the article was this, is that you can have a dead tree in the middle of the forest of trees that are alive and are thriving and are healthy, and that stump in the ground will be kept alive Not because anything that it has got, but because the surrounding trees with their vitality and strength, the way the water comes off their leaves and it begins to distribute amongst the soil, the microbes and all the things that live in the soil that support the healthy trees, that environment can actually bring a dead tree back to life. And I began to think about the environments that you and I need to be in to actually bring vitality and health into our soul. You know, this year is the year of the soul. That God wants to bring healthy souls into our world. That we want to be people that are not just successful on the outside, but we want to be people that are healthy on the inside. Come on, who knows that when you gave your life to Jesus, He didn't give you a mansion, but He gave you an incredible power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And many times we focus on the outside, but the true power of the gospel is what God actually does on the inside of us. And I began to think about this, about who you are close to determines what will actually sustain your soul. You know, the Bible talks about this as a principle right throughout the Word of God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Come on, don't you like that? Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Let me say this. If you want to become wise in life, don't walk around with negative, stupid, small-minded people. Oh, that was overwhelming. It says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Have a look at this one. Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Don't you love that? Unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, you look at the New Testament. Jesus is predicting his cross and resurrection. He makes this point. He goes, it is to your advantage that I go away. He's wanting to bring someone close to his disciples. He makes this powerful statement in John chapter 16 and verse 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. It is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is talking about a close friend, a counselor, a comforter who wants to be close with the disciples. They are going to need someone who's going to fill their lives with power and boldness and joy. They can't do it on their own. And Jesus makes the point, if you are going to live the life that I've called you to live, You've got to have the right closeness in your life. You've got to have my presence that's closeness in your life. You know, often as a Christian, we can become familiar with this. Often as believers, we can get so used to our relationship with God. And I want to say this, that when you draw close to the Holy Spirit, when you cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's the, His power has the ability just to bring strength and vitality into your world. You know, um, growing up, this was a real reality for me. You know, growing up, I was always awkward. You know, I'm still awkward now. You know, there are times that I'll walk down the road and I'll just trip on nothing. <laughs> just trip on nothing. But growing up, I was always awkward. I was socially awkward. I uh, grew up in, a, in an ethnic Christian home. So I grew up in a home where my parents weren't born in Australia. They were born overseas. My mum and dad have got a very, very, still a very strong accent. And, uh, you know, my parents, uh, and, and growing up in that home, you know, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a normal Aussie home. I was probably the only kid in my class whose parents came uh, from a, a different country. These days, praise God for multiculturalism in Australia, praise God, eh? But, you know, back, you know, 40 years ago, very, very different. And, uh, you know, and so because of that, my social setting was often very different, you know, to the rest of my classmates. Even my sandwiches looked different where everyone else would have Vegemite sandwiches and ham and cheese sandwiches. I would have big, thick salami sandwiches. <laughs> you know, my, my mom never knew how to slice the salami, but she knew how to hack the salami. <laughs> she was a butcher when it came to the salami. She would just hack a piece off, ram them in the sandwich, and I'd pull them out, and oh my goodness, there's another salami sandwich. The problem with a salami sandwich is after you've eaten it, everyone in the classroom knows that you're the one who's eaten the salami sandwich. <laughs> Just these wonderful smells that come out of your life. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so I remember just growing up this time. I remember when I first went to school, you know, my parents had only been in Australia not a long time, and so my mum dressed me up in traditional German gear. And I came to school my first day of primary school in some plastic German leather pants. <laughs> yes. Kids wanted me to chamois their parents' cars with my backside. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> And I remember because of that, there were times in my life that I was very isolated. I wasn't, um, I wasn't outgoing. You know, the, it's funny, the fact, you know, when you often talk to different ministers, the ones that are preaching in, in churches, you know, who they are on stage, we, we are not outgoing people. You know, it's amazing how God uses people that are often their personalities are direct contradictory to the call of God. But you just know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know. And so I remember just going through these seasons at times of being bullied and, you know, not being socially, uh, having the ability to handle things and, you know, growing up in, in high school with anxiety and stress and concern. I remember, you know, people would write obscene things on my locker because they knew that I was a Christian. Kind of this combination of being socially awkward and knowing the Lord put that together. It was kind of a target that the enemy used to kind of pull you down. But it was during that season of my life, in the early years of my teenage years, 
that this became a reality for me, that I learned to walk with the Holy Spirit, that I learned to dig a deep well with God, that even though I may not have had a lot of friends on the outside, he was my closest friend. He was the one that I could rely on. He was the one that brought confidence and comfort into my soul. There are many seasons that I would come home after school and I would spend a couple of hours in prayer just praying and fasting and just seeking the face of God. And I remember those days, just the overwhelming sense of joy and comfort and security that he would bring into my world. You know what Jesus spoke to his disciples about? I can say it was a reality for me. And I want to say this to you today, it is a reality for you as well. It's not a sideline, it's not something that we kind of put in the back corner. It should be front and center of what we do when it comes to the things of God. There's this picture in the Old Testament about intentional closeness. Exodus chapter 33 is an interesting passage because it kind of stands out for all the wrong reasons. It doesn't stand out because of the miracles. It doesn't stand out because of the signs and wonders. You know, we often read other scriptures in Exodus about the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues and all the things that God did. And we actually don't see this in Exodus 33. It stands out for other reasons. It stands out because of the conversations that man is having with God. It's not the miracles. It's not the signs and wonders. It's the desire for intimacy, the hunger to draw closer that are worth noting in Exodus chapter 33. And there's this little phrase in chapter, in verse 11 of 33 that's worth looking at this morning. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's an encouragement to me when I read it because I believe it's something that we can understand how deep we can actually go with God. And it says this in Exodus 33 verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Let me read that again. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You know, church, that word in the Hebrew means, literally means he did not budge. In other words, he just stayed where he was. He made a decision that I'm going to linger a little bit more in the presence of God. After Moses was gone, after the conversation had finished, we still see Joshua there just bathing and meditating and just cultivating the presence of God in his life. And think about this. Moses was off doing other things. There was no doubt that Moses had a list a responsibility. He got his answer from God, and you can see Moses going off and having to resolve other issues and sort other things out. There's no doubt that we read many times in the Exodus that the Israelites were nothing at times but a pain to Moses when it came to their lack of faith, when it came to their propensity towards sin, when it came to some of the things that they should have been trusting God in, but they didn't. And I can see Moses now running off and having to sort out quarrels and having to sort out fights and maybe making sure that not not another golden calf was going to be built. And Moses is gone from the scene, and yet we see the camera lens come upon upon Joshua, son of Nun, and there he is outside of all the activity, resting in the presence of God. And like a movie set, we see Joshua there bathing in the anointing. Joshua just spending time in God, 
He didn't leave the tent. He's there alone. Think about it. Why would he still be there? The conversation was finished. And yet he decides to stay after Moses is gone. And the point that I want to make to you this morning, it is so tempting not to make this a priority in life. You see, often in life, we don't budge on other issues. We don't budge on our agendas. We don't budge on our activities. We don't budge on our goals and dreams. We say, we've got to do this. We've got to make that happen. We've got to facilitate that. We become so structured in our work life and in our responsibilities that we kind of put this on the back burner. We don't budge in everything else, but when the pressure is too much, we actually let this one go. But I would say this to you today, that your power is not in what you'll do, your power is actually waiting on God. Your power is not in functioning and doing all the, the goals and the dreams that you have in life. The strength of your power is actually doing what Joshua actually did. It's so easy to live with this false perception that the world kind of evolves around us. We compromise this, but we don't compromise the other areas of our life. It's so easy to let this one simply slip. What I find interesting is that scholars would say that Joshua was 50 years old when this passage was actually written. So even though he was young compared to Moses, right? Moses was double the age of Joshua, Joshua was actually 50 years old. So often when we read this passage, we think he's a 16 and 17 year old, right? But the reality is he was a man that was in his 40s or 50s. He was a man in the latter part of his life. So often when we read this, we kind of read these Psalms and we read these scriptures and we think, you know, that, um, that vibrancy and just that hunger and that desire, that is reserved for young people. But I've got to tell you this, God is raising up a generation of people, not in their teenagers, but in their 50s and 60s and 70s, that are going to be an example to other generations because they are so hungry for the goodness and the presence of God. And if you think about it, Moses, so Joshua probably seen a lot would have seen the way that the Israelites didn't follow under, uh, after the things of God can I encourage you if you so I can say this now because I'm in my 50s if you've been in church life a long time there is no doubt that you have seen a lot don't allow what you have seen to diminish your desire for the things of God don't allow the enemy to make you smaller on the inside. Allow the Spirit of God to enlarge you on the inside. Moses and Joshua saw a lot, but they made a decision. That is not going to diminish my own personal desire for the things of God. I'm going to continue to pursue God in a greater dimension. There's a couple of things that this speaks about that are worth noting this morning, and then we're going to pray. Number one, if you look at Joshua... It was personal. It was personal. Maybe if you want to write notes, write these down. It was personal. You see, his job was to be the aid of Moses. His calling to serve in ministry was to be Moses' aid. But this was something else. This was a different call. This was a different purpose. You see, Joshua, after his responsibility was gone with Moses... He made a decision to stay at the tent. You know, sometimes you've got to ask yourself, what am I when I have stripped back all the titles? 
See, often we identify with all of our responsibilities. Matt Hines, senior pastor. Matt Hines, father to three wonderful children. Matt Hines, husband. Matt Hines, provider for the house. Matt Hines, taking on responsibilities. Matt Hines, doing stuff in the nations. So on, so on, so on. All of us have got titles. But beyond all those titles, who are we really? Beyond father, beyond son, beyond, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, doctor, beyond lawyer, beyond all the different titles in life, who are you? You know what the underlying foundation is? Before you are any of those titles, you are child of God. You are child of God. When you die, you will die being a child of God. You don't go to heaven being a lawyer. You don't go to heaven being a doctor. You don't go to heaven being a pastor. You go to heaven because you are a child of God. And I reckon Joshua, he put aside the titles. And he wasn't operating as Moses' aid. He was operating as a child of God. I'm wanting to be in the presence of God. See, there are things that will come out of your life because of what you do. But there are other things that will come out of your life because of who you are in relationship with. Wow. You know. And I think we forget this one. You know, I was, uh, I was in 16 meetings last week. Praise God. And for a guy who hates meetings, that's quite a miracle. <laughs> right? And I remember I was, we did, or a couple of weeks ago, we did state conference and then from there we went to, uh, did a conference in Sydney and then from there we went to Aubrey Wodonga where Pastor Phil is the associate pastor. Great church over there, one of, the, one of the significant churches in country Victoria. And so I flew in there a Sunday morning and I was preaching there. I finished preaching and uh, uh, did an altar call. I love moving in the prophetic, as you know. And so I invited people to come forward and people came forward and started prophesying over them and praying for them and people were crying and God is touching people. And this lady comes forward well-to-do lady, and she kind of comes forward with, I think it was her daughter, she comes to the front. And I said, would you like prayer? She goes, oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, would you mind if I hold your hands, you know, because her hair was really done really well, and I didn't want to mess her hair up, you know. <laughs> See, I'm conscious as well, you know. <laughs> you know, I still want your hair to look good, and you get a touch from God. I think we can do both in this church. I think we can do both. <laughs> And so I grabbed hold of her hands, and she goes, oh, that's nice, you know. And I started praying for her. And I, uh, I said, you know, I just have this, this picture, uh, this picture of this, uh, this kitchen, this pristine kitchen. It's white. It's, it's amazing. And I said, the, the knives are in, in, you know, ordered in a certain place, and the pots and pans, and, uh, you know, it looks professional, looks amazing. The kitchen looks amazing, but the rest of the house is in disarray. And God is saying to you today, as you take care of your kitchen, God wants to take care of the rest of the house. And as there, you are very fussy about your kitchen, God wants to bring order into the other areas of your life. And right now, the other areas of your life are in disarray. They are disordered. And God is saying, oh, you care for your kitchen, so he cares for you in those other areas as well. So she starts crying. She looks at me, just like a deer in headlights. And sometimes when people say, you know, look like that, you think... Did I hit it or did I miss it? Because in the Old Testament, they'd stone the prophet if he got it wrong. So I was ready to run out the door because she pulled out a bunch of rocks. And she looked at me and she said, do you know me? And I said, no. She goes, how did you know that information? I said, well, that's the Lord. That's God that speaks to us. 
She goes, I'm a chef. She goes, I love to have my kitchen ordered. But she goes, you're right, the rest of my life is in a mess. She goes, I've just come from Melbourne because I just need a break. My daughter has brought me to church for the first time. I've never been in church before. If this is what church is like, she goes, how did you know this stuff about me? And I said, God is telling you this through me to show you that God is actually real and he cares about every single detail of your life. At that altar call, she gave her life to Christ. You know, led her to Christ. That did not come out of Matt Hines, senior pastor. That flow came out of Matt Hines, child of God. That did not come out of my responsibilities. That came out of the flow of the Holy Spirit in my life because I've just made a decision. I'm going to cultivate that and build that and shape that and allow the Spirit of God to flow through. Some days you've just got to strip away the titles and go back to this core of who you are and that you are a child of God. And out of that flow is blessing. Out of that flow is wisdom. Out of that flow is boldness. Out of that flow is a sense of security and peace. God wants to make you wiser than what you really are. Walk with the wise and you become wise. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Come on, he's the wisest one in the universe and you will become wise. Church, don't make your walk with God a job. Don't make it a job. It's personal. Number two, it's a priority. It was a priority to Joshua, right? A a, a priority that produced power in his leadership. And I do believe that this priority produced the man that we see later on as Moses dies. You know, there are only so many things that you can learn from other people. There are only so many lessons that you can learn from observation. That's why the Bible says, just don't be hearers of the word, but actually be doers of the word. Just don't read the Word of God. Just don't listen to preachers and just walk away and do nothing. Because there's only so much understanding and experience or revelation that you get from actually just hearing. You actually have to put the thing into practice. You know, I realize this in my journeys in life as I like to take on some fads. And as you know, I've been on a pizza fad for a few years now. Making the perfect pizza. Getting the perfect crust making sure the temperature is exactly perfect, making sure that there's a balance between chewiness and crispiness, making sure that there is the perfect rise. I remember when I started on my pizza journey, probably about five or six years ago, I bought a book by one of the world famous pizza makers. It's called the Pizza Bible. (laughs) I have the Bible and then I have the Pizza Bible. And this guy talks about, he goes, he talks about the ingredients. And making pizza dough is very simple ingredients. It's flour, it's water, it's salt, and it's yeast. And when I first got it, I thought, this is really easy. Chuck some flour in, chuck some water in, bit of yeast, bit of salt, leave it for a couple of hours, perfect pizza dough. It was an absolute disaster. (laughs) And I remember when I first started thinking what really looked easy on paper, trying to put that into practice became increasingly difficult. You know, my first batch, the dough didn't rise. I let it sit there for three days. (laughs) My second batch, the dough fermented too much. It became more bubbly. The third third time I tried it, it just kind of broke apart. I remember wanting to, you know, heat up the barbecue. So, you know, when you do pizzas, the barbecue has to be really hot. 
And I didn't have a pizza oven back then, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to get the barbecue going. It only got to about 230 degrees. I needed to get it to about 350, 400 degrees. So I got some live coals and ran them in the barbecue as well. In the end, I bent the whole chassis of the barbecue. It was actually very dangerous. Don't do this at home, by the way. This is not... Um... But I remember going on this journey, and I remember, you know, my first attempts were terrible. You know, the funny thing about it is what I love about my family is that they are long-suffering, praise God. Because every time I made pizzas, I didn't make it for one, but I made it for five. Here we go again. We're going to have pizza. Great, Dad. The first one, they've tasted like cardboard. What do you think, kids? It's great. It's great. The second one, I burnt it too much. What about this one? It's okay. It's okay. For three years, they endured pain and hardship. Not too sure what they were actually eating. But praise God, we've arrived there at the end. But the reality is, just doing it is very different to just hearing about it. You say, what, what's, what's pizza and the presence of God got, to, you know, got in common? Well, the, number one, they both begin with the letter P. But second of all, it's the illustration. You can read about it, but unless you do it, you will never experience it in its, in full, in its entirety. And this is really, we see that it's a priority to Joshua, and we see it's a priority to Moses. We see it is something, it's at the core of who they are. And Joshua just didn't observe Moses' intimacy with God. He formulated it in his own way. He stood by the tent. You know what I find interesting is that God spoke to Moses different to the way that he spoke to Joshua. For Moses, he talked about rules and regulations, about structure, about bringing governance to the entire nation of Israel. But to Joshua, he just said, be strong and courageous. He goes, I'm going to make you a warrior. I'm going to make you someone who's going to give the ability to overcome the enemy. Same God, different message. And what it tells me is that Joshua made it his own. Joshua cultivated this relationship with his heavenly father in a way that was different to Moses, but it had the same desire. It had the same hunger. Let me say this. God speaks to me differently the way that he speaks to you. You know why? Because God knows our need even before we pray. He knows exactly how to inspire you. He knows exactly how to encourage you. He knows exactly how to challenge you. He knows exactly how to speak into your life so that you won't get offended. He knows exactly what button to push because he made you. He shaped you in your mother's womb. And Joshua made it his own. He made it his own. Number three, it's a position. He took a life position. I will linger here in the presence of God. I will be where God is. He had a gravitational pull towards the presence of God. I really like this idea here is that after the responsibility was gone, after Moses had left, the Bible says that Joshua, son of Nun, still stayed at the tent. In other words, he was drawn. He was drawn to the presence of God. It didn't mean that Joshua was perfect. The Bible says in Joshua that God says to him, be strong and courageous. Obviously, Joshua had some insecurities and some weaknesses and some fears. And yet, yet Joshua made a decision that he is going to be drawn into the presence of God. I guess the challenge out of this point is that what do you gravitate towards? What is your natural bent? Yeah. You know, there are people in life that just seem to always look at the, the glass half empty. There are other people in life that always seem to look at the glass half full. All of us have got natural bents in life. All, have got, all of us, because of our personality, our background, maybe some things in our life that we haven't dealt with properly, we always seem to gravitate towards certain things. 
Maybe you gravitate towards insecurity. Maybe you just gravitate towards negativity. Maybe you just gravitate towards whinging and complaining. Maybe you just gravitate towards anxiety. The good thing about the presence of God is that he realigns your gravitational pull and pulls you back into his world to bring alignment and health back into your world. And we see this with Joshua. Look at this, Job chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. Job is writing about his, how his spirit is broken. He said, my spirit is broken and my days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Surely mockers surround me. My, listen, my eyes must dwell on their hostility. My eyes must dwell on their hostility. See, Job is saying his spirit is not just broken because of what he's gone through, but his spirit continues to break because he's just drawn to the wrong thing. His eyes keep seeing hostility and brokenness, and he just seems to be drawn to those things. And so those things keep him wallowing in his pain and his hurt. says, my eyes dwell towards their hostility. Job's eyes kept being drawn to the wrong thing. But this is, let me say this, that when you surround yourself with the presence of God, it gets your eyes of those things and back on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how when you surround yourself with the right culture, when you surround yourself just as a leadership position, when you surround yourself with the right people, when you surround yourself with the presence of God, it's amazing how those things actually have the power to actually lift you out of your weakness and just bring you to a whole new level in your life. I see this in some of the practical areas of my life. You know, over the last seven or eight weeks, I've been doing a 12-week challenge. Right? That means, you know, I go to the gym almost every day. And, you know, Pastor Ollie, who's, you know, uh, helping uh, run our Monash campus, you know, he's a personal trainer. And the first time that I came, you know, he said, you know, why don't you do this 12-week challenge with me? And, you know, I want to get fitter, I want to get sharper, you know, because who knows when you hit 50, it's twice as hard to keep fit. So I just made a decision, all right, let's go hard on this. Let's see if we can go hard for 12 weeks. The first time that I rocked up into his gym, he said, now the pulpit is your domain, but this is my domain. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he was making me do a mixture of cardio and weights. I love weights, but I hate cardio. And he started to introduce me to these things like crunches and planks and burpees. Who knows what a burpee is? Do you want me to show you what a burpee is? I'm not doing 20 burpees. Someone yelled out 10 burpees on the 9 a.m. service and I did 10 burpees. I'm not doing 12 burpees. Right. Okay, no, I'm not doing 10. I just did 10. Right, who knows what a burpee is? Right, Dave, you're up here with me. making excuses, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, are we doing it? Yeah. Well, how many do you want to do? 
You did 11. <laughs> There's something powerful about doing it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> What's the point? I got no idea what the point was. The point is this, when you surround yourself in the right environment, it's amazing what you can actually do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Look what David writes. David writes a lot of things. <laughs> Psalm 32 verse 7, because I want crowd participation, you're going to read the psalm, not me. <laughs> if you can see amongst the trees... Psalm 37, sorry, Psalm 32, verse 7. Ready? You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Sing it again. <laughs> you are my hiding place. There we go. You will protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I love that. That God surrounds us with songs of... Sometimes you just need to be surrounded with the presence of God. Yes, you are strong. Yes, you are diligent. Yes, you are faithful. But sometimes that is not enough. You need to surround yourself with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to actually help you get through some of those things in your life. That's why praise and worship is so powerful. When you walk into the house of God... Hello? See, my pack couldn't handle the burpee. Oh, we're going this way? Thank you, Natasha. David writes, he surrounds himself with the presence of God with songs of deliverance. That's why praise and worship is so powerful. You come into the house of God, you're faithful, you love God. But there's something about being under the anointing as we worship God. Number four, it's a purpose. I want the musicians to come. It's a goal for both Moses and Joshua. That's what I love about this whole passage. Moses is saying, we will not go any further unless your presence goes with us. In other words, it wasn't a sideline. It wasn't something that was just in the background. It was front and center of what they were going after. For these men, it was a big deal. For these men, it was a specific purpose. I say this because in my own heart and as a senior minister, you've got to understand, this is the direction that I want to take this church. You see, this is the purpose of this church. It's not just to do things out in the community. Thank God that we have the ability and the resource to do those things. But the way that I see that Sunday mornings and Sunday nights is a powerhouse to fuel people in a positive way so that we can actually go out into the community and do what God has called us to do. That going for the things of the Spirit is not a sideline. It's not something that we just hope happens. Every Sunday morning, I pray that we land this plane in a way where the glory of God is revealed to every single individual. That every Sunday night as we come together, that we're being charged up and fueled up, that we're being filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if it was just about this, then 
really we wouldn't be doing what the Lord has asked us to do. But this in combination, what we do out in the world, listen church, is a powerful combination to actually change the world for Jesus Christ. I just don't want to be your church that does a lot of stuff out there. But we are empty on the inside here. But as people come in and begin to lift their hands and praise and worship, as they are surrounded with songs of deliverance, it fills their life again. It empowers them again. They walk out of this place and the Spirit of God has spoken to them once again. This is our distinctive church. This is what sets us apart. This has got nothing to do with personality. This has got nothing to do with hype. This has got nothing to do with just culture. This has got to do with what we go for when it comes to the Spirit of God. You understand, I grew up in a church that if you lifted one hand in worship, you'd have an elder tap you on the shoulder saying, we don't do that here. I come from a very, very conservative background, but I've made a decision. Where are we taking this church? I want the Spirit of God to flow. I want miracles. I want signs and wonders. I want to see the prophetic release. I want to see more of what I saw in Albury, Wodonga. I just want to see the Spirit of God flow in this place. Not so that we can have a bless me club, but that so we can do even better than what we're doing in the, out in the community, in the, the nations of the earth. I praise God for our missions program. I praise God for our community care program. One of the best in the world. But I praise God more for what God is doing in this house. That if God can empower you, release you, encourage you, stir you up, take away the pressure, give you a fresh word, bring peace into your soul, take away that anxiety, bring you alignment back to those natural gravitational pulls that move you away from the things of God. If that can be achieved on a Sunday morning, then I will know that we're actually doing what God has asked us to do. It's a purpose. It is a purpose for this church. The fifth one is this, is that it reproduces. It reproduces. The reality is this, I'm talking now to parents here. One of the greatest things that you can reproduce in your parenthood is reproducing your children a hunger for the things of God. I learned to pray for my dad. So my dad praying at two o'clock in the morning when I get up sometimes in the middle of the night. I learned to hunger for the things of God because of my dad. What I'm walking today is generational. It's generational. Many times, you know, we can often want to reproduce other things in our children. But I'm telling you this, you reproduce this in your children. And by that, you are setting an example. You are setting an example of speaking faith in your home. Come on, you are setting an example of speaking life in your home. You are setting an example of believing that God's going to break through in your home. You are setting the culture of faith in your home. When you begin to set that culture of faith, your kids begin to see the way that you're doing it. When you go through stress, when you go through pressure, you don't handle it like everyone else. You handle it differently. I remember significant seasons in my life where Franker and I were under incredible pressure and incredible stress. Rather than flipping out and freaking out, where did I go? I went to the presence of God. Two o'clock in the morning, did what my dad did many, many years ago, spending two hours in prayer. Come on, God, break through. Come on, God, give me deliverance. Come on, God, shift things. It just changed the culture in our home. Maybe your home has a natural gravitational pull towards certain things. Change that today. Make a decision. Make a decision. We're going to draw near to God because when we do, He actually draws near to us. Amen. Let's not make this a sideline. 
Like Joshua, son of Nahat, he was a busy guy. I'm going to be deliberate. I'm going to stay here a few minutes longer and just bathe in the presence of God. Let's go for this, amen. I believe in this church that we are going to see an increase in words of knowledge. We're going to see an increase in accurate prophetic words. We're going to see an increase in people breaking through in some stuff that they have been living in for many years. I prophesy that over this church. I declare that over this church. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. As we are hungry in the touch of God, I believe God is going to cultivate that environment in our midst. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.